Hello, and welcome to the Satellite Image Deep Learning Podcast. I'm Robin Cole, and it's my pleasure to present another technically focused episode in the series. In this episode, I catch up with Josef Ackman to discuss super resolution with satellite imagery. Super resolution is a technique which enables transforming an image with 10 meter pixels into an image with 1 meter pixels. While this method has some skeptics, its potential to improve analytics on the imagery is undeniable. This was a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Josef. How are you doing? Excellent. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to getting stuck into this topic, super resolution. Do you mind getting the ball rolling and telling us what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So generally, uh, super resolution has been around for quite a while. And the idea is uh, taking an image at certain uh, resolution and trying to reconstruct as much spatial details as possible from the available pixel data. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, traditionally, there has been a few uh, algorithms and approaches, uh, and then there was quite a significant breakthrough with something that is called compressive sensing. Well, okay. people actually managed to. Uh, so the, the the original idea was that uh, you there is very little that you can do in terms of reconstructing additional spatial information from the already captured pixel data. But then uh, the compressive sensing managed to achieve quite uh, impressive results that people didn't expect. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it, this opened the gate for gates for further kind of uh, experimentation and research. And then with the emergence of deep resolution, uh, really it opened the uh, floodgates and uh, there was uh, now it's a very well researched, uh, uh, area with some incredible, uh, nearly kind of magical results, especially in yeah. face reconstruction and right. uh, some other areas. Okay, yeah. So I suppose with faces, it it makes sense that you would. There's a general structure to a face, like the you know the edges of a face, etc. Do the same principles uh, hold in remote sensing imagery when you're talking about super resolution? Uh, so exactly. So, so the the big question in super resolution is how uh, information is sparse is your data. How well you can build the prior that would uh, uh, capture as much as a priori as much a priori information about what you expect uh, to be able to see, and then you just get a little bit more extra uh, uh, pixel data, and you are able to reconstruct. Uh, a lot of the information that are not present in the original data. So okay. kind of this is where a lot of uh, uh, controversy gets into picture because uh, uh, people have this uh, little bit of dogmatic, I would say, uh, concept of, uh, 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 I think, the kind of very simplistic interpretation of information theory. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of this uh, a little bit simplified uh, understanding of things like Nyquist, you know, law and Shannon limits and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think uh, uh, we are a little bit, we need to have a revision of these concepts uh, right. a little bit for people to understand what the, uh, and, and again, I'm absolutely not saying that these principles and laws are wrong. We just need to have a review and better understanding what they actually mean. 
Right. Okay. And just for readers that might not know or listeners, uh, Nyquist theorem is about sampling and saying that you need to sample at double the resolution to be able to identify features. But presumably, if you have a model and it can somehow detect that there's higher spatial features by reference to previous training data, then it then it can reconstruct those. So that's why you're saying that it's not not necessarily applicable in this situation. Is that right? I mean, the, the simplest uh, example is that uh, let's say that you have a, a bunch of samples, right? And then you have a prior information that it's actually a line, okay? So you just do linear regression and mm -hmm. then you can reconstruct this line with any uh, you know, number of uh, sampling frequency you like, right? Yeah. So this is the simplest possible example where so, so seemingly Nyquist law here doesn't apply. You have just two, basically, you just have two samples, right? And then you can sample with, uh, I don't know, million samples per whatever, at any arbitrary resolution you like, just knowing, uh, but you need to have a prior uh, that this is a line, this is a, a priori information. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the same thing you can do with, you can go and make it a little bit more complex. Let's say that you know that this is a, just a one frequency sinusoid, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just from few samples, again, you can do the same thing and reconstruct it with any, uh, uh, frequency you like, right? Yeah. So here you start to get a feeling that uh, just this simplistic um, understanding of the Nyquist law is uh, doesn't always hold. Mm -hmm. And the uh, to generalize this is that uh, the Nyquist law talks about dense signals, meaning that the that's uh, there is an assumption there that there is no prior that all the samples are statistically independent, right? Mm -hmm. But the, if the but natural signals, most of them or all of them, they're always sparse. There's all they are always correlated. If they wouldn't be, wouldn't be, uh, vision would be impossible. Like imagine wow. that uh, pixels are statistically independent in any image. It's just noise, right? You wouldn't be able to see anything. You wouldn't be able to detect anything. So all images are always correlated. If mm -hmm. you have one pixel value, you can say a lot about the next pixel value, right? Mm -hmm. So the more you know about the statistics and then uh, uh, about this, the, what you expect to see in this image, the more you can actually reconstruct and understand from this image. And mm -hmm. and the obvious the uh, uh, example of this, the kind of the culmination of this is really face reconstruction, because you you know you have such a strong prior about the symmetry, about the uh, spatial structure. Like uh, in the end, all of the spatial features are um, very similar. There are some there are some parameters you can parameterize this, but you can parameterize these faces with very few variables. Mm -hmm. And this is what allows you to achieve this magical, amazing results in image reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And the same, absolutely the same thing applies to any imaging and to satellite imaging in particular. It's different. Uh, obviously, satellite imaging is uh, much more complex, uh, but still they are highly sparse. They're highly correlated. Uh, there are some very common textures. For example, all the natural textures, they are very repetitive. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a surface of a forest, then uh, it's extremely sparse. Uh, 
data okay. in terms of content, right? Uh, so, so, the, if you, so the advantage yeah. of the deep learning approach is that you can learn these more complicated priors. You know, a face is an oval, but obviously a road is also a line. So there's some simple priors, but there's also more complicated priors, which the models will learn. Is that correct? Absolutely. If you can learn all this, uh, we can call them primitives, right? Yeah. This is a primitive of a, of a forest canopy texture, and this is a primitive of a, of a road texture, and this is, you You learn all of these primitives, and then you, like a Lego, you can reconstruct the image from these primitives. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there are limitations to it, and also there are, there's another aspect to it, is that uh, there's more to the pixel values than what we see. There are, you know, there's uh, sometimes eight bits, but if if you have a really raw satellite data, right, with a reasonable signal to noise ratio, you have 12 bits or sometimes 14 bits of information. And these small bits, you never see them. We are completely, yeah. we ignoring them most of the time, but information is there. There's a, these little bits, they uh, store information between, be, uh, uh, about the crosstalk between the pixels. Mm -hmm. So if you can, tease out all of these cross correlations between the pixels, you can really uh, restore a lot of the information. Right. So it's kind of goes both ways, is to pull in as much information as possible from the available uh, data. And on the other hand, to have any very high, like very strong prior of what you expect to see. Right. So in practice, the models are trained on pairs of images right low resolution and high resolution and in practice you want to go from the low resolution to the high resolution uh, is that correct this is absolutely correct the challenge is that these high resolution images they don't always or in reality they never exist right mm. if you have a uh, there's this approach that most of the people are uh, uh, trying is that they, they take high resolution images, they downscale them, right? Yeah. And then they, from downscaled images, they try to reconstruct the original. Yeah. But this is, uh, this is not good because right. the downscale images are absolutely not, don't have the statistical properties of the originals optically captured data, right? Especially this is true for, I mean, this is works to some extent for uh, frame sensors, but this is, uh, becomes completely untrue for other types of sensors such as push broom, right? right. Push broom cameras are uh, significantly different. The data is, uh, if you downscale a push broom image, uh, you just have uh, something that is completely different animal from the original. Mm -hmm. So if you if you using this approach, it doesn't really work. Right. Uh, so, so there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So you've been working on Sentinel two super resolution in in that context. What was the training data there then? Well, I had to synthesize it. Uh, I had it. It doesn't exist for right. for the reason that we just discussed. But it also doesn't exist for the reason that there is just no other sensor that a high resolution sensor with these spectral characteristics. Mm. So I actually had to synthesize training data and uh, obviously using as a source uh, high resolution satellite data. But uh, 
the I think what allowed me to achieve the results that I managed to achieve is that I have ex- actual experience of designing push brom sensors mm-hmm. and uh, and designing hyperspectral cameras. And so I kind of, uh, I think if I'm thinking of what is the skill set that is necessary to build something like this, I would say it's 10%, you know, machine learning skills and 90% sensor design and uh, uh, and remote sensing skills. Okay, so what you're saying is we can't just do a simple resample operation on a high resolution. We've now got a pair, there's much more understanding of the actual optical system that's required to do a good uh, translation yeah that, that that's definitely my opinion again I, there might be alternative ways to do it and obviously uh, yeah i'm not definitely not claiming you know that i'm the only one who is able to do that but uh, i feel what what allowed me uh, to achieve the the desired result was this very particular you know combination of of skills okay and also there's a there's a um uh because of what we discussed your training data needs to be as close to your real world data as possible and so first that's the reason i decided to focus on sentinel 2 because this is a uh, this is a systematic publicly available uh, data set, right? Which is, uh, there are only two satellites, right? That collect all of this data. Mm. They're extremely well calibrated. I mean, heads off to the designers of this, uh, uh, of the systems, incredible uh, satellites with very high uh, signal to noise ratio. They have some issues <laughs> uh, that I uh, discovered and uh, there's, there are some chromatic aberrations that nobody talks about, and uh, there are some issues that I had to explore, but otherwise, these are amazing sensors, and I had to do everything, like, fine-tuned for this particular system. Mm-hmm. This is, doesn't, it's not something that translates, you take, you know, same model and you apply it to Landsat or something like this, and it works. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like this. It's specifically fine-tuned for Sentinel-2. And if I, at any point, you know, decide to develop uh, something similar to another satellite, I will need to start almost from scratch. Yeah. One question about Sentinel-2. Obviously, it's got multiple channels, but some of them are lower resolution, 20, I think even 60 meters. Do all of the channels contribute kind of equally to the super resolution or the high resolution channels doing most most of the work? Yeah, it's a... It's a very interesting and, and not an obvious question. Uh, it's uh, so definitely um, the high resolution channels uh, do most of the work in reconstruction of uh, air, um, spatial details, but also the other channels because of their spectral characteristics and the unique spectral signatures that different textures produce. They make this, uh, you can, I mean, you can describe the whole process in a very simplified way as one enormous lookup table, essentially, right? Mm. You look at the particular neighborhood of pixels, right? And you say, okay, this particular combination of different spectral bands and pixel values corresponds to this high resolution 
uh, you know, tile, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of generalization going where it can generalize and, but in it, like to put it soup in a super simple metaphorical way, it's a nor one enormous lookup table. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in this enormous lookup table, uh, these other bands are very important because they allow you to, you know, make one-to-one, uh, like relate a particular combination of pixels or relations with different spectral bands to a particular texture. Yeah. That's a really interesting uh, point. And I suppose that will feed into the sort of relative performance. If I have four different satellites, some with just RGB, but some with other bands, they might perform equally on some kinds of targets, but there might be other kinds of targets where the extra spectral bands contain the information to reconstruct those much more accurately. Yeah, and, and this uh, brings another point that uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, multispectral remote sensing is is really underutilized. Uh, there are, in the end, you have all of this wonderful talk about multispectral, hyperspectral, all of this, uh, mm. I know, dozens of companies, especially recently, that, but nobody's using multispectral and nobody's and definitely nobody's using hyperspectral i'm not aware of a single real application especially commercial application of hyperspectral and the reason for this is uh, first of all you need to calibrate you need to have a very good atmospheric calibration and atmospheric correct um, correction to make multispectral coherent enough the spectral characteristics coherent enough to be useful Right, mm-hmm. and the only such satellite satellite is actually Sentinel two. Even amazingly, even Landsat is not properly spectrally calibrated. So the only uh, and again, hats off to European Space Agency for doing that, and especially you know giving public access to all of this data. Uh, but that's the only satellite that is properly spectrally calibrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then there is a question of resolution. The problem is that uh, uh, everything you see is mixed. You have this 10 by 10 uh, meter pixels, and a lot is going on in a 10 by 10 meter mm-hmm. space. And so y- you don't have any spectral signatures of that would be pure enough to do real analysis. It's all mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel that, uh, I mean, we are quite far away from really uh, getting the most of, out of, or even getting the least out of <laughs> multispectral remote sensing. There's mm-hmm. a lot to be done. And I think uh, doing super resolution is, a, is a, I feel it's a very good step in the right direction. Yeah. The next question I've got, what is the kind of practical range of use of super resolution obviously i can go and it's usually measured in scale factors so you can like double the number of pixels quadruple that's a scale factor of two or four right what's the practical range can i get arbitrarily high resolution from a 10 meter pixel or is there kind of a practical limit beyond which you're not going to get realistic predictions uh great question uh, my uh, uh, experience is that 4x, you can really reconstruct pretty well uh, any arbitrary shapes, mm. but there are certain 
scenarios where you can reconstruct significantly beyond 4x. So maybe that's a it's a good uh, moment that I'll uh, that I'll show you a little example mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. and um, and I'll try to describe what I'm showing. So you you see my screen? Yeah. Yeah. So 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 these are orchards, right? And and some of these orchards, the, this these plant lines, are two meters across. Okay. So, uh, so you you see here individual individual plant uh, lines. You see individual trees. You see missing trees. Uh, all of this is uh, is completely uh, invisible in the original. Yeah. And this is definitely uh, this is definitely like really properly 10x increase in resolution, useful 10x in pro uh, because you see individual missing trees, right? Mm -hmm. Something that like if you see here, you see absolutely nothing in the original image, yeah. and this is useful. And the reason that it's again, the reason that it works is because these uh, textures are highly periodic. Yeah. So you can kind of you can uh, figure out the texture from a large, very uh, uh, informationally sparse, right? Like really structured uh, neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, so depending on the uh, on the type of surface, you can go to um, to ten x super resolution in a useful practical right. way yeah right. but it's it's again it's not uh, it doesn't apply always it doesn't uh, it, it depends on really uh depends on the structure yeah, yeah. i suppose that, that leads us up to the controversy of super resolution that it generates lots of features some of which will be accurate some of which will be people talk about hallucinated and then the catch is distinguishing between the two of them could you talk a bit on that yeah, uh, so definitely uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a question of good terminology here because obviously hallucination is taken from this vocabulary of uh, generative AI, mm. of generative models that just, uh, that are trained purely for generative hallucinative purposes, like, right? So you, you just, they produce a very pretty structured image. Okay, uh, but I feel that in this particular use case, uh, the term hallucination is uh, a little bit misleading. This is an estimation. This is an estimation as the way estimation is in any uh, computing, you know, uh, computing task. Like again, you can go to linear regression and ask, what would be uh, uh, the value why like um, at this particular point x1 versus y1 right mm -hmm. uh, based on several uh, available samples and it will give you an estimate right so this is not perfect it's uh, there's it's an approximation of the desired value and mm -hmm. the question is is this uh, approximation good enough for your practical application or is it not right so nobody's talking about hallucination when you are trying to do linear regression 
of a uh, of particular data set, right? You don't mm -hmm. hear this. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel that it's uh, justified to talk about hallucination here. Yes, there's approximation here. And yes, there will be some artifacts. And yes, this approximation is not perfect. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes it will give you a result that is... The, the only question is, are these good results good enough for your practical use? Mm -hmm. And some applications, you would say yes, some not. If, if it's a defense you know application where you're trying to direct uh, i don't know artillery i i i wouldn't recommend right to mm. use super resolution for this application but in agriculture where you're trying to estimate how many trees uh, are missing in your orchard i absolutely feel absolutely comfortable to recommend using super okay. resolution yeah that's, that's interesting. If we just if we just dive into this particular application, which you're showing on the screen yeah. at the moment, so you're taking the 10 meter and you're enhancing it to one meter, and you can identify visually there's some missing trees. So the next yes. logical thing to do is to try and count the missing trees or estimate the density of those, which you would probably train a model for. So if you're training the model to directly predict the missing trees, what's the benefit of this intermediate step where you super resolve? Uh, excellent. It's a, it's an excellent question that I that is a kind of the obvious next next uh, uh, question for discussion. Uh, and uh, again, this needs to be tested. It's a it's an excellent and this particular it just needs to be uh, done. It's just uh, somebody needs to. I didn't have time yet to work on this particular use case, but somebody needs to test. However, I have applications where uh, we did test, and uh, and this is in. Uh, yeah, in just uh, it's uh, in um, delineation of field boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Okay, mm -hmm. and and uh, um, uh, and and so the question there, it's it's very similar question, and I have uh, endless discussions about this with with potential clients, with uh, other competitors. Uh, the question is, okay, so we use super resolved. Um, fields to uh, delineate field boundaries, okay? Uh, so other people would say, okay, but wouldn't you get the same result if you train a model that would directly delineate field boundaries from original 10 meter per pixel sentinel to data? Mm -hmm. And to the best of uh, of we experimented extensively on this, and our conclusive answer is no, you cannot achieve the same result uh, as uh, from directly from Sentinel-2 as you can from super-resolved Sentinel-2. And the reason is similar to, like, let's for a second use again ChatGPT as, as an example. Uh, like, you would type a prompt, I don't know, chicken salad, right? And it would give you this uh, very detailed recipe of a chicken salad, right? Mm. And then you would do uh, some analysis on, on, on this recipe that is the output of uh, the response of ChatGPT, okay? And the question is, okay, so all the information comes from the prompt. Can't you, can't you do directly the analysis on the, uh, on the chicken salad prompt? Because seemingly all information comes from there. And the answer is absolutely no. The information comes from the prior. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The information comes from uh, this enormous model that learned all the intricacies of Sentinel-2 data and allows you to draw exactly the field boundaries with all its corners and the uh, and the shadows of the trees uh, that can be, I don't know, 20 meters long mm-hmm. and all of these uh, details that then allow you to apply your very simplified uh, field deletion model on the result of super resolution. Mm-hmm. Now, well, that, I think in, that's very interesting, in, and the parallels of ChatGPT are quite uh, significant but, as well. But it's a it's a very straightforward parallel because that's exactly what uh, uh, what super resolution does. It it's exactly what ChatGPT does, and and even the architecture is somewhat similar. So it takes mm. it takes a low resolution image as a prompt, and it generates high resolution image as an output. It's exactly what uh, the model does. Yeah, uh, and just so as an I observation, think... there's a couple of groups publishing foundational models now, but they typically combine resolutions in the imagery sources, like a thirty meter and a ten meter, or a ten meter and a, a one meter. So it seems like there's some some extra intuition learnt by the model by being exposed to multiple resolutions rather than just a single resolution. Uh, so I I agree. Uh, there's a definitely. Um... There's a, a lot to be said about the trade-off between how wide you go and uh, how many different modalities you include in your model mm-hmm. versus how uh, focused you are. It's so th- th- definitely there's there's a possibility that multiple resolution will, uh, but it's uh, there's a trade-off with the size of the model, mm-hmm. the time it takes to train it, and then what do you want to use it for really? Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, there's also an argument that you can say that you could indeed produce a model that would generate field boundaries directly from the original Sentinel-2 data, but to achieve the same result, this model would need to implicitly include all of the prior knowledge of the super-resolution model. Mm-hmm. So you could do this, but it's just it would make that it would mean that you would just train basically. Uh, concatenate, they, like you train both models together somehow. Right. And you so could potentially do that, yeah. In practice, you see the super resolution being used as maybe an intermediary to other ana- analytics uh, and being a better better foundation or a better starting point than the original imagery. Uh, absolutely. That's exactly how we use it now, already mm-hmm. now. This is, uh, this is not, uh, again, I, another line kind of criticism that I get is that Okay, this looks nice, but is it uh, useful? My answer is that no, it, it doesn't look nice. There are artifacts, and in fact, it's not. It doesn't look nice, but it's incredibly useful for analytical models, mm-hmm. and that's what it's uh, useful. Fantastic. Well, it's been a really interesting introduction to the topic, and uh, I think there's lots of food for thought, and uh, the conversation around super resolution will continue for some time. I expect um, you're commercializing uh, this super resolution approach. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I have a absolutely wonderful partners so partnership with Digifarm, where this is already uh, commercialized, particularly for delineation on field boundaries. But they're also selling uh, 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 directly uh, deep resolved data for for analysis to other organizations. Uh, but I'm open. I'm exploring other options as well. Cool. So if people want to follow along your progress, maybe if they want to 
find the article you mentioned uh, looking at the field boundaries i think you publish online right absolutely i'm i'm trying to keep people up to date with our progress uh, so there's uh, this article on medium that uh, the most recent update to the model which i really focused on um, on spectral fidelity so the mm -hmm. new model as opposed to the previous model, it it really well reproduces. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, quite happy with the result. It reproduces the very subtle variations in spectral characteristics of vegetation. Uh, uh, and uh, and actually the next, I'll go now back and I'll try to in the next uh, release to even improve. I'm hoping I know how to do it now to improve the spatial kind of characteristics and reduce the artifacts a little bit Fantastic. but uh, definitely you can follow on medium you can follow on linkedin you can write to me directly i'm more than happy to discuss and explore uh, i mean the, the the hardest part of the entire i feel remote sensing earth observation community is finding useful applications i right now the situation i would say is a little bit dire because there are very few practical commercial applications on of all of this wonderful technology. Uh, so I always super happy to discuss possible practical applications. That sounds good. I'll put your, your LinkedIn and your Medium articles uh, in the show notes. But once again, thank you, Joseph. And uh, hopefully we'll catch thank up in so the future much. and learn more about your progress. Absolutely. We'll keep in touch. Thank you, Rob. Thank you.